0: Here's the 1-2 pitch to Manning. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Third strikeout for Kobe Minchie. And out of trouble in the second. Sables 3-1. And that is ball four. A bases loaded walk. The Longhorns will take the run. Jared Thomas will trot in from third. Campbell moves from second to third. Porter Brown from first to second. And trotting down the first credited with an RBI on the bases loaded walk is Ryland Galvan. And the Longhorns take a 1-0 lead. Now from the stretch, Madrano deals the 0-1. Swung on it, a ground ball, and that's through on the left side of base hit. Campbell scores, rounding third, headed to the plate. Porter Brown will score. Jack O'Dowd just kind of pokes it in the hole on the left side for a two-run single, extending the Texas lead to 3-0. No balls in a strike to count with two outs. Inchie's pitch. Swung on, line shot caught by Powell, and that will end the inning. What a grab by Peyton Powell, snagging the line shot off the bat of Dalen Pena, and the inning is over for Texas State. Toll's pitch. Swung on, and a fly ball hit to center. Coming on in a hurry. Campbell has it. The sinking liner. Another fine play made in the outfield by D.C. Dylan Campbell ensures that it's a 1-2-3 inning on the mound for Heston Toll. Here's the stretch. The 1-0. And this is hit in the air to the left side, but this looks like it'll curve out of play down the left field line. Coming over, and it comes back into play, and Porter Brown did not give up on it. A throw to first, inning over. It's a double play. What a throw by Porter Brown. Caught it on the line. Fired it back across the diamond. This inning is over on a double play. Wow. The two-ball, one-strike pitch. Swung on, and that is line down the left field line into the corner for extra bases. Rounding third, coming in the score is Galvan. Rounding third, coming in the score is Constantine. RBI double, Jade Duplantier, the pinch runner, scoring the second run behind Galvan. RBI, two-run, pinch hit double from Jalen Flores. Extends the Texas lead to 5 to nothing. Runners on the corners with two down. Here's the two-ball, two-strike pitch from Zane Morehouse. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Morehouse comes back to get the strikeout, and that will retire the side. Two balls, two strikes, two outs. The 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out, and that'll do it. The Longhorns take the first of the back-to-back games from the Texas State Bobcats. In the ninth. No runs, no hits, nobody left. Final score tonight here in San Marcos. The Texas Longhorns five. The Texas State Bobcats two. And that is merely part one, part two of the back-to-back between the Longhorns and the Bobcats is tonight back in the ATX. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower here on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. I do thank you very much for joining us. Jeff Howe will be with us right around the top of the hour. He is at... The uh, media availability is going on even as we speak right now with Longhorn's head football coach, Steve Sarkeesian. So when the availability with Sark is done... Jeff will be back over here, and he'll have the full report on that. Uh, That'll be our second hour Longhorn Notebook. We'll have that our first hour Longhorn Notebook. We'll hear from Longhorn's head coach, David Pierce, on the heels of the Texas win over Texas State last night and kind of previewing, looking ahead to tonight's second game of the back-to-back, which will be the fifth game in as many days. Five games in five days for Texas. Two days off and then up to Waco to have a three-game weekend series back in Big 12 conference play against the Baylor Bears. Glad to have you with us. Glad to have our producer back, Cameron Parker. Not that happy Jack Farrell didn't do a fine job. He did, and did a fine job as our uh, producer last night. He culled the highlights of the game, and then Cam went about the business of uh, uh, putting those together for a uh, show-opening montage. How you doing, Cam? I'm doing good, Craig. Glad to be back. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember why you were out yesterday. You told me. I was in Florida That's right. visiting uh, visiting the mom. Okay, so you were in, in Florida visiting mom. Uh, would it be safe to say even as you visited with mom, you were watching the
1: Masters? Oh, 100%. I had that on my phone. I had the TVs going. I, w- I was fully
0: invested in the Masters while also spending time with my mom. Okay, all right, all of which is really, really cool. Uh, we didn't really even have that much time to get into the Masters yesterday on on the program, so I, I'm curious to get your your feedback on that. We'll talk a little bit of uh, of golf on that on that front. Also, we'll uh, and like I said at the bottom of the hour, have a longhorn notebook, and we'll hear from David Pierce. Specs text line is open three three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. I want to I want to address uh, well, well, first of all, I want to address one thing. All right, here here we go. (laughs) You know, Cameron puts together a nice montage, highlight montage, of the Longhorns win over Texas State last night. And one guy on the text line, this is what you pull out of that? The quote pokes it in the hole? That's what you call from that? Uh, If you saw the hit from Jack O'Dowd, you would understand why I said that. Because he just kind of flicked out the bat there, and he just kind of just kind of it poked right in between uh, third base and shortstop, right in the hole, and so it just went through there. So I see where you're going. I see where you're. I see where you're headed with that. But anyway, that's. There was some key, um, two out, two strike hitting uh, things like that. So we'll get. We'll get to that. Um, the other thing. Uh, uh, Is don't like what Victor says on the Specs text line. No antics this morning, Craig. I'll kick you out of the game. <laughs> hey, Longhorns had to play without Eric Kennedy last night uh, because of uh, what happened on uh, Sunday. But all the, the moving around of all the pieces, uh, all the button pushing that David Pierce had to do with his staff last night, it, it paid off in a big way. You think of the pinch hit – uh, the double that uh, Jalen Flores had. In the, again, we'll get to all of that uh, coming up in our Longhorn Notebook at the bottom of the hour. But, yeah, no antics, Victor, no antics this morning. We're just rolling along here. The other thing I want to get to, and let's just put it to bed because we've already had a lot of people in the Specs text line, this was this totally unnecessary uh, topic that that uh, Ty Harrington brought up, and Ty is a wonderful man and an outstanding game analyst. Looking forward to working with him tonight on the broadcast. Ty is in that uh, unique situation. I talked about it yesterday. It's truly unique when you think about it, that um, here's a guy who worked last night's Texas-Texas State game as the analyst on the Texas State telecast. Of course, he was the head coach for 20 years, and when, and when Stephen Trout, the head coach for the Bobcats, it was on just a little while ago. Uh, with Aaron and with Ty. Bucky will be back tomorrow. Uh, And when Coach Travels on, he talked about how Ty laid all the foundation for the program, and it's true. Uh, So he's still connected, obviously, with that program. But Ty is also a lifetime loghorn, played for Cliff Gustafson, coached on Cliff Gustafson's staff. So he obviously has his LinkedIn ties with the University of Texas, so he's on our broadcast, on the radio broadcast tonight, with Texas State being the visiting team, and Keith Moreland, who worked with me last night on the radio side, slides over back into the TV booth with Greg Swindell. So great baseball minds, those three guys, Ty Harrington, uh, Keith Moreland, uh, Greg Swindell. And um, the uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, I, I'm fortunate to get to work with guys like that. And Ty started this whole theme this morning about uh, somebody all to blah, 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 do a, the documentary on my life and work and blah, 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 and all this other kind of stuff. And some of you unnecessarily uh, were filling up the specs tax line with all sorts of nonsense about that sort of thing. So let's just, you know, <laughs> move on. Okay. Cause it's not, it, 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 I, I'm, this is not false modesty or false humility. I'm, I'm serious when I say this, if you saw what I really did regularly, it would be nothing to fascinate you that in terms of the grind, all it is is just you know uh, grinding, doing uh, doing what people do when they when the you know what was what was the documentary uh, Cam Kobe doing work? Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just doing work is, is is what it is. So I just wanted to thank you for nice comments. Let's just put them in the rest, and we we move forward for that. All right, so the game is tonight at 6.30. Looking forward to working with Ty on that. Okay, um, to the Masters, because you and I haven't had a chance to talk about that, and you are certainly one of our resident uh, golf nicks on this. Um, uh, we talked about who we thought were the favorites, should be the favorites going in. Scotty Scheffler certainly one of those, and he did he finish in the top ten. He t ten backdoor t ten. Yep. Okay. All right.
1: After making a double on twelve, not by hitting in the water, by hitting it past the green
0: into the bushes. Wow. Did you see even that further, shot? Even no, because it was doing the ball game yeah. at the time. Now I did see Kepka go wide yeah. left of the mark, and he wound up making bogey mm-hmm. at twelve. Right. Yeah. So, um, uh, but but he was certainly probably the odds-on favorite, I guess, going in. Yes. Uh and then and then uh, Jordan Speeth had a nice final round. Sixty six. And uh wound up what, tied for third? T four. Fourth. Okay. Tied for fourth. Uh yeah, because Kepka finished tied for second mm-hmm. with Phil Mickelson, who had a <laughs> a sixty-five. Came out of nowhere. Wow. What a week for Phil
1: Mickelson, Craig, because remember, it started at the Champions Dinner where the reports came out that Phil, you know, who's a very outgoing and loves to tell stories type of guy, yeah. was silent. Yeah. Fuzzy seller, or not Fuzzy seller. Uh, I believe, who said, I think it was Jose Maria Alathabo who was uh-huh. like, he just kept to himself the entire time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, and and supposedly things were kind of quiet, maybe a little tense in some moments between sure. the live golfers and the, and the PGA Tour golfers, but I think it was all set aside, after that, guys went out, and uh, I I did notice this in the times that I was watching, and in the highlight recaps as well. When Phil Mickelson went out there in the first couple of rounds, um, he wasn't exactly warmly received. Yeah, uh, there were there were a little smattering of booze and stuff like that, but but not a lot of that because a lot of that doesn't happen in Augusta anyway. But he wasn't exactly warmly received.
1: Yeah, I felt like there was a reporter for no laying up, uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg, formerly ESPN. He said that even with this, because Phil and Spieth played together in the final round, yep. and they were both uh, one under after their third round, so they were pretty far back. And once they kind of got going for, towards the back nine, that's when the crowd really got into it. Because Phil, even, you know, Phil usually is out there, he's giving the thumbs up to fans right, and stuff. Right. The first couple of days, you know, he looked like a shell of himself. And yep. you know, all of a sudden, I think he kind of fired himself up and then... Towards the end of the round, he was you know, high-fiving fans and giving them the thumbs up and stuff. It felt like he, he really changed. And when you shoot a 65 on Master Sunday, obviously you're going to become a little bit more outgoing.
0: Yeah, and and the fans, if, if for those who might have had issues with him, kind of flipped the script for yeah. them. Because then they were roaring by the time yeah. he was finished. And that was good to see. No matter how you feel about the PGA Tour and the Live Golf mm-hmm. uh, thing and, and, and all of that, no matter how you feel about any of that, it was good to see that yeah. happen, I think. But it, I think that part was good for golf. No matter what you think about what live golf is, whether it's good for golf, bad for golf, whatever it is, that particular moment, I think, was good for the game, good for the tournament as well. I think the
1: stuff that Phil Mickelson said over the past couple of years have been have been stupid, to be frank. Like he's just said yeah. some stupid stuff, but seeing him climb up the leaderboard on Sunday was fun. Like I was rooting for him. I was rooting for him to have a, a really good Sunday. Now... The Kepka Rom group, it felt like most of the fans, Craig, were on Rom's side, pulling for Rom. Not, sure. not a lot of Brooks chance. not a lot of you know, sh- people shouting Brooksy like they usually yeah. have done in the past right. few years.
0: Yeah, because Rom is looked at as being one of the real good guys of the yeah. tour. It was kind of funny the the, the post match news conference, the post round news conference. we was talking about getting that Travis Kelsey yes uh, text about hey man uh, number one looks uh, easy or whatever it was yeah. he said. Um, uh, so uh, for the take it or whatever, and then he four putts makes his double on that. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool to see, and uh, Phil Mickelson becomes what, the oldest player to finish in the top five mm-hmm. in Masters history? 52 years old. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and the, there were good things that happened out of that. Uh, for for all of the unpleasant stuff that was loaded up mm-hmm. going into that event, and understandably so, a lot of it, um, I still thought it was pretty cool. And And I don't know. Maybe it'll ease things off a little bit as they continue. Maybe not. Maybe this, Maybe only the majors will be out at the end of the flow chart. Maybe yeah. they'll just li- exist in their own bubble, and that's where live golfers and, and PGA golfers – get together and differences are put aside and they play for a major championship. I think that's what all the major championships want. Yeah. Masters, the USGA with the US Open, uh the R&A with the Open Championship and the PGA Championship. Um I I I think that's what they want. Yeah, I said, uh what I said, I said Kelsey it was Zach Ertz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on that. Sorry. Uh thanks donor uh for that. Um so I did find it interesting Craig that
1: Roy McIlroy, who's been the most outspoken about the Live Tour and the PJ tour sure. made it a point in his press conference Monday or Tuesday to say, I'm gonna play a practice round with Brooks Kepka, who plays on Liv. So yeah. even though Roy, who has been very against Liv, and that might be more of a Greg Norman uh situation there, yeah. but he made it a point that you know to welcome his arms up to Brooks Kepka and they played a practice round together and, and they got along fine and you know most of these guys, you know, they play and practice in the same circles, but there's a lot of drama In the media, it's built up, but I think when these guys get around each other, it's just like it was two or three years ago, outside of maybe Patrick Reed.
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh, and somebody else said, you have to discuss the Patrick can't lay pace of place as John in the Bay. He's never going to be confused for a speed merchant. Him and then Sam Bennett, the amateur from A&M.
1: It, it's tough to watch sometimes. Like, it was awesome to see Sam Bennett play this weekend, but that
0: was a feel good story yes. in spite of that. You're right.
1: The pace of play. Cantley's like, it was ridiculous. There were certain points where Rahm and Kepka were just sitting in the tee box for five minutes waiting yeah. for Hovland and Cantley the, the hurry up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So and that,
1: I think that affected Brooks Kepka because Kepka is a notoriously fast player. Mm hmm. And that may have gotten to him a little bit because he, he, looked, he looked shaky from – he looked shaky actually even in the third round. They played Sunday morning, but he looked even more shakier throughout the fourth round.
0: Yeah. Hovland finished with a top ten, didn't he? Uh, I believe so. I'm going to say like minus five. Yeah, five or six. I knew it was it was going to be one or the other uh, right there. So uh, I know he was one of those, and I was telling the story last week compiled how, how – uh, Ryan Cameron, who's the media mm-hmm. relations director for women's basketball at Oklahoma State, and also their golf media relations director, uh, pretty close to Victor Hovland, who he flew with him and went down to Augusta and hung with. Um, T7. tie for seventh. Okay. All right. Uh, did you
1: see his uh, attire, Craig? Hovland's?
0: Yes. I did one day. Did you see the watermelon shirt on yes, Thursday? I did. I did. I did see that. Yes. So two days. Yeah. Yeah, so he had that no working. <laughs> that going uh, uh, form him that uh stoner says uh you know uh, you pointed out uh kvV formerly from ESPN um now solely NLU. Mm-hmm. so he's that and uh uh and uh, boy stoner you're living with the abbreviations BTW Rory, WD from the RBC this weekend
1: and uh Jason day. As well, and then of course, Will Salatoris who I uh, yeah.
0: believe lives in Dallas still. Yeah, um, he's out for the year. Yeah, that was unfortunate uh, to see on that. So yes, uh, Rory did withdraw from uh, the RBC Heritage Classic That's at Hilton Head, and he withdrew from that. It's uh, a great course, Craig. Sure. I don't know. If, I'm sure you've been out in that area before. Harbour Town Golf Links is beautiful Love that there. Course. It's beautiful down there. Uh, so uh again uh, and this guy texted in after I already said my piece on this what do you think about the docu series the morning crew was suggesting yeah <laughs> trust me but <laughs> they came in I was like there's got to be more important things to do uh if you to, to spend your times with documentaries than than that sort of thing uh yeah I did say it earlier uh, thanks for the correction yeah it was uh, Ertz. and then and then also uh JJ Watt also on on group the group text, right? I on believe. that group text, yes. On that John Ron, uh John Rom text text. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> and he channeled Seve on Thursday with Scott Van Pelt. Uh, Rom does is how did I four putt? I putt, I putt, I putt, and then I make a putt. Yep. <laughs> So, like yeah. Jeff Howes,
1: uh, the, the Baylor basketball player, asking how they got out rebounded, and yeah. well, the guy went up and grabbed the ball, <laughs> yeah. brought it back down. That's the rebound.
0: There's there's certain things where the answer is obvious. What it, you know? What that makes me think of one one of the uh, uh, funniest things I think I ever saw in a news conference was Bob Knight, and Bob Knight, he could do some news conferences. I was I was at the one in Boise, Idaho, in 1995. The whole thing where he where he dressed down uh, the uh, media relations director from Boise State for they started the press conference without him, and, you know, you've bleeped this up long enough, I'll handle it from here. that kind of thing. And I think he got fined $10,000 for that, not that it mattered much to Coach Knight. Uh, But the the, the thing that was funny was the time somebody asked the question about Game Face, and he was like, I don't even know what that is. What's Game? And he started, like, scrunching up his face and doing all these different facial expressions. It was hilarious uh, when he did that about... uh, uh, game face as well And then somebody else pointed out How about Freddie Couples making the cut At yeah. 63 years of age The yeah. oldest to do that That was, was good and The 92 Masters champion Won it 31 years ago So yeah um, So somebody said that uh, That Hovland's shirt was an azalea Not a watermelon LOL
1: Yeah well I mean it looks like a watermelon Yeah if, yeah If yeah. you showed it to me I would say watermelon over yeah. azalea
0: even though it's supposed to Because it's got those pastel colors in yeah. it uh, like it is. So, uh, so, and then uh, our good friend Tom McKay of Audiovisual Consultation. As long as Kepka didn't win, it's all good. Don't actually dislike many people, but he and Tom Herman. <laughs> 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 hey, so, and so he, he mentioned it. So, the reason why I also brought this up, There's one other thing to get to. This doesn't really fall into the category of inconceivable. It is kind of outside the boundaries of the regular sporting life, but it's connected to it. Uh, So I figured I'd put this in. We will have inconceivable, by the way, later this hour. Um, The other big deal uh, coming out of the Masters, and this was coming up on uh, 18 at the end for ROM, where folks got a chance to see this young lady who was standing behind Brooks Kepka. And apparently social media just went crazy about this this, this young lady. And who is she? And all the stuff about I'm in love and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I saw her. The thing that I noticed uh, standing a few feet away from her was a man wearing a hat that said, and it had the double T Texas Tech logo and it said TTU POM. So it's connected with Texas Tech's POM Squad. I even took a picture of that and sent it to my daughter, who was, of course, a senior captain of the Strutters at Texas State, and and she laughed and said, I wonder I wonder whose dad she is. Well, uh that guy is. Mm. He's the dad of that young woman oh, okay. whose name is AJ Kikamoto. And uh so uh or or that's the dad, let's see, I'm just I want to make sure. Uh it's Aaliyah uh Kikamoto from Denver, Colorado. That's who she is. She they say she's a Texas Tech cheerleader. She it's Palm. She's part of the POM. And her mom is AJ, who said there's a shot of both or uh, and uh the, the husband, the her father. So they were they were both there. Her dad, Charles, was in the shot that went viral. And uh yeah, it said uh Yes, my husband, she said, at Charles Kikamoto to his right is our daughter Aaliyah on the TTU Palm squad. <laughs> so that so I that's what that. the, Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the deal. You had a Texas Tech Palm uh there.
1: That so, T box Craig is notorious because it's the players on sixteen, like the the the, fan, the patrons, which yes. I don't say fans, the patrons are always in the shot. You sure know Tiger Woods' is shot in sixteen in twenty nineteen the year he won. Michael Phelps right behind him. Yep. There's always someone always becomes uh it's you know becomes popular
0: or they find somebody on that tee box, it seems like, every year. It's kind of like the, um, the courtside seats in an yeah. NBA playoff game or an NCAA tournament game the or, or, sit, yeah, or sitting behind home plate mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with somebody big there. Uh, somebody said, I heard one where they asked a coach about a game plan. He said, score more points than the other team. Yeah. 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 that's you know. So we've got some Captain Obvious working on here uh, this morning. So that makes, makes sense as well. All right. Uh, coming up. Uh, we'll have our, uh longer notebook, a recap of last night's game. A look ahead to tonight, because not only is it, you know, a deal where it's Texas playing five games in five days, it's the double midweek. Uh, the impact of the game tonight, you might not necessarily think about it, but Tuesday night midweek game, but we'll tell you why there's some added significance and importance to that game. Uh, then, in addition to that, uh, coming up, we'll have uh, inconceivable that'll get us right up to uh, around the top of the hour. Uh, Jeff Howe will join us. when we'll to be in hour number two. We'll find out uh, what Sark has had to say about the media availability. I mean, uh, at the media availability about spring practice heading up to the spring game, which is this Saturday, which you'll be able to hear uh, on the horn on one hundred four point nine FM. Now, for those of you, and I've already been asked this. You know what happens with baseball. Texas is in Waco, obviously, for the three-game weekend series against the Baylor Bears. That's a 2 o'clock game on Saturday. Spring game's at 1 o'clock. And uh, you'll be able to hear the baseball game on AM 1260 and 101.9 FM. AM 1260 and 101.9 FM. Point nine FM uh good signals in the daytime shouldn't have any trouble with it at all if if you're wanting to tune in to maybe there are those of you who will be at the spring football game who want to listen to the baseball game while it's going on you can do that so it'll be doing that because uh the football game will be on 104.9 so that's how we we get both ends of it covered for you there on Saturday with baseball up in Waco they play at Baylor on uh Friday night at 6.30, Saturday at 2, and Sunday at 1. And the Saturday game will be on AM 1260 and 1019 FM only on those two signals. Friday and Sunday will be on the full arsenal on 104.9 FM as well as AM 1260 and 1019. All three games uh, there will be on AM 1260 and 1019 and then Friday and Sunday as well on 104.9. So hope that explains that. Up next... We have this morning's loghorn Notebook. We'll get to that in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, we also have a Flex 30 update. Now, I mentioned the UIL state soccer pairings and how it's well represented. And boys and girls have of the greater Austin. And we'll recap that and get Cam's thoughts on that since he's involved with that as well. So we'll do that coming up and more when we continue with Light the Tower here on the Horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. You know, maybe that's apropos for a Tuesday here. We all try to navigate our way through a Tuesday. This is light the tower here on the Horn. Craig Way, our producer, Cameron Parker, alongside Jeff Howe will be joining us uh, right around the top of the hour after uh, on upon returning from the football media availability with Longhorns head coach Steve Sarkisian. That'll be our Longhorn Notebook. Second hour, but uh, right now it's time for Longhorn Notebook, hour number one edition. Longhorn Notebook. And that Longhorn Notebook, in this case, being a baseball-related Longhorn Notebook. Um, There's a couple of different things to get to about this game and the game tonight. Uh, Texas wins last night. Great crowd. Great atmosphere. Um, The ballpark itself, I believe... Seats in the neighborhood seats, counting bleacher seats and things like that, and General Mission and and Ty Harrington can certainly uh, correct me on this. But I want to say it's like 3,200 or 3,100, right right around in that area. And the official announced attendance last Mm -hmm. night, I believe, was 3,425 or something like that. And I'm here to tell you there were were a lot more people than that because you had uh, people beyond the outfield fences. And that included beyond the left field fence, where there were a lot of fans that were kind of peering through that open slot there in the left field fence that were on the Texas State softball field. Now, there was one other interesting little wrinkle about that when the game was first starting. It was going to the bottom of the first inning. And Kobe Minchie goes out to do his warm-up tosses, and they stop play before he even takes a warm-up toss, the home plate umpire Jason Millsap and the first base uh, umpire uh, Doug Williams and the third base umpire Clayton Hamm. And they're in a conversation. And at first, I didn't know what it was, but leave it to an old baseball sage like Keith Moreland. He knew exactly what it was all about. Uh, And I don't know if they mentioned this if our, our good friend Brant Freeman, who was calling the telecast... Uh, on ESPN Plus, the Texas State telecast working with Ty Harrington uh, about that, and uh, in fact, somebody had, uh, yeah, somebody had uh, texted in on the Specs text line and said, when I tuned in the game, I flip back and forth with volume on your broadcast on TexasSports.com and on ESPN Plus, the play-by-play guy on ESPN Plus. Sounds much older than he looks. He looks like a student but he did an outstanding job, just like you of course. Thanks very much. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, Brant Freeman is an outstanding play-by-play guy. And uh, he does, he handles the ESPN Plus home telecast for Texas State. And I've had him sub uh, when we have needed him uh, to fill in on a couple of uh, Texas women's basketball broadcasts in the past. He has also, I had him fill in on uh, UIL State Baseball uh, state championship that I had to miss one year when uh, Texas was uh, playing in the Super Regional. Uh, so uh, Brant is 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 a fine broadcast talent and, and works well together uh, with uh, Ty Harrington. Now, I don't know if Brant and Ty mentioned this, but Keith Moreland noticed it. <clears throat> the what What the umpires were talking about was beyond the left field fence, there were people that were – massed in on the softball field that were watching through the fence. And that was cool. And for those who couldn't get a good view of that, there were several other that kind of just kind of milled over there and made their way into that. The game was put up on the big screen in the softball field. But it presented a problem because the center field camera would show Kobe Minchie getting ready to throw his pitches, with Ryland Galvan was catching last night for Texas. And it was very, very visible from the Texas State dugout. You say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is you can see signs that way. So the umpires took note of this, made comment uh, to the Texas State dugout and said, hey, you know, that could present an unfair event. So they they did. They turned off the screen and and the game went on uh, on that. So, But my point was is that the fans had been beyond the left field fence. They were all gathered around. It reminded me a little bit of the Super Regional last year. If you remember watching on television, especially if you were there in Greenville, North Carolina, when they played East Carolina, how the fans are stacked rows deep beyond the outfield fence. So I knocked my microphone to the side waving my hands because I do talk with my hands a lot. Um, And fans were massed in several rows behind the outfield fence all the way around from the left field foul line all the way to the right field foul line, several rows deep. It was quite a sight to behold in Greenville last year where they had that. I mean, you talk about a home field advantage. That was pretty cool, and for Texas to be able to overcome that and win that Super Regional it made it all the more uh, impressive. Uh, but they had fans beyond. They kinda, it kind of reminded me of that, those who were able to gather beyond that left field fence, down the right field line, uh, you know, I know Aaron Hogan was hanging out by the caboose down there. Uh, somebody sent me a camera shot of of uh, of E Hogan standing there by the rail. It looked like he had a Bud Light in his hand, and he was, of course, of course. he was watching watching the action uh, there. So uh, it was a great environment. A great house and and a sellout and all that uh, sort of thing and and by the way somebody else uh, said uh, Freeman gave you and all the radio crew a shout out last night on the telecast. like I said they're good good guys and and Brant Freeman is a, a, a tremendous broadcaster and um, uh, he he'll be doing Texas State softball uh, tonight Clint Shields handles the radio calls for Texas State baseball and Clint. We'll be calling the game tonight, and um, Brant, because he has the softball duty, won't be able to work with on the broadcast. So none other than Bill Schoening. How about that? We'll, we'll step in. So I'm looking forward to seeing William Joseph Schoening over at UFC Far field this evening when they play. Alright, so the Longhorns, you know, they get the uh, Kobe Minchie walks out there. This is a guy, it's a fascinating story, by the way. Uh, I think so, anyway. Uh, Kobe is the son of a uh, former, albeit brief, former major leaguer and who played in Japan in the Pacific Rim, Nate Minchie, who is from the greater Austin area and graduated from Pflugerville. So Nate uh, played in the Bigs for a little bit, spent a lot of his career uh, overseas, including in Japan where Kobe was born. And, uh, then and then the family moved back over here. Kobe was homeschooled and um, uh, has identified as his hometown, transferred hometown, Gerald. And 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 Jeff Howell did say to me last night, "Okay, I have to say something nice about Gerald because of Kobe Benchy." <laughs> as much as it may may grate on Jeff, he'll say something nice about Gerald because that's where Kobe uh, calls his now. Transferred or adopted a hometown, you know. Like I said, he was born overseas, but but that's where he grew up. But he was homeschooled, and uh, and then of course was playing club ball. I think playing with the story, he was playing in Waco, and and I even asked David Pierce yesterday. I said, "Where'd you find him? How'd you find him?" And and Kobe had only pitched one inning of relief. Uh, he's a freshman, you know. And and it was impressive when he did it. It was a week ago today against Air Force, and that was his first ever collegiate appearance and he sat down all three batters he faced so this is before the game and he's about to make his first collegiate start and so I'm asking David Pierce a you know uh why here instead of home to start for his first collegiate start and 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 would you find him you know and I know there's a network of you know between uh, coaches and scouts and people like that you know word gets around on guys he said, uh, I thought it was interesting, he said, and he said this on the pregame interview, he thinks that, uh, Coach Pierce thinks that it, it is more difficult sometimes for a guy to make his first start or a freshman or young player to play at home than on the road, because they might feel a little extra added, self-imposed pressure that they, as coaches, try to relieve and tell them, don't worry about that sort of, he said, sometimes it's easier for them to do that on the road. To go and and uh, and play on the road, so Kobe Minchin goes out there and gives up a double right out of the box at uh, in the uh, bottom of the first. But he worked his way out of trouble in the first, had a little spot in the second, worked his way out of trouble in the second and the third, and and did a did a tremendous job. He really did. They were, they were hoping maybe to get a couple, maybe three. Well, you'll hear David Pierce talk about it. So I think it's a pretty interesting story. And he also gave um, you know David Pierce and. And uh, Woody Williams, uh, a, a bit of a look at how he might be able to help this this ball club going forward from the pitching staff. And in the answer to the question about how'd you find him, whatever, so on and so forth, Ward had gotten around, and uh, they had heard about him. Uh, Steve Rodriguez knew uh, knew about him coming down uh, from Baylor. Uh, Woody Williams knew about him even uh, down at San Jack. So Ward gets around, and so they went and saw him, and they liked what they saw, and Now he's a Texas Longhorn, and he had a pretty impressive performance. Longhorns also did the clutch hitting. Jack O'Dowd had that uh, two-out hit. Yes, he poked it through the hole on the left side. I'm going to stick with that. He did. Uh, They got a couple of runs home uh, after the first run scored on a bases-loaded walk to Ryland Galvin, and that was after they intentionally walked Porter Brown to load the bases. And then Galvin uh, draws a walk It brings in a run. And then after that, uh, O'Dowd with a two-run single. So they scored three there. And defense does an awful lot of work. Defense has really been playing well of late. You had a sinking liner caught. uh, uh, And and, and the Longhorns, of course, were having to to refashion, if you will, the outfield a little bit. Uh, You know, uh, had to do that a a little bit because – of uh, the suspension of Eric Kennedy, couldn't play after being ejected from the game on Sunday against Kansas State. So Dylan Campbell moved from right field to center field, and Ace Whitehead started in right field. Now, Ace, or Boogie, as his teammates know him, is going to get the start on the mound tonight for Texas. But uh, he started last night in right field. And then there were other substitutions made as the game progressed as well. But there was a nice catch Uh, by Dylan Campbell on a sinking liner. And then Porter Brown makes one of the best defensive plays they've made the entire season. Uh, If you were listening to the highlight montage, you heard me say, it's probably going to curve out a play. He runs it down in the corner, turns around, and fires a strike all the way back across the field, and they get it to first and double off. Jose Gonzalez to end the inning. Turns out to be a double play. It was a huge play in the game. So they had that defense. Heston Toll did a tremendous job in his three innings of relief. Chris Stewart uh, looked good until he got in a little bit of trouble after one and two-thirds inning. Zane Morehouse, hey, they call him Nightmare. It works both ways. Zane gave up a triple to the first guy. But the kid, as, as Keith Moreland pointed out, the kid is sitting dead red fastball on the first pitch and drives it to the – to uh, the center field wall, so two inherited runner score, that made it 5-2, but then Morehouse settles in, he gets a strikeout at the end of the game, works at one 2 3 ninth, and that's in that, that's that so, all of that uh, on the mind of head coach David Pierce when he visited with Keith Moreland after the game
2: I love games where everybody in your club gets involved and this is another one of those games where everybody got involved I thought Kobe was good, start the game I thought you got a really good, Heston did a great job, and then Chris, really, that's the best we've seen him in a while, and then you got guys coming off the of bench getting big hits, it was just a team victory. Yeah, you know, that's what this team is really becoming, I mean, never knew what we were going to get out of Mincy, we were hoping two solid, maybe three, and he was outstanding, and Heston did his thing, and you can always rely on him, and you're right, I like what we saw from Chris, if things stay elevated above their swings, it really helps, but uh, and Zane does his job, but... You know, it's fun to see. I got a lot of confidence in Jack O'Dowd, but I'll tell you this. The matchup was so crazy the 476 versus like 050. So it made all the sense in the world right there with some guys that can fill in defensively, too. We don't ever want to give up defense, but I just like our options right now. And. Well, you can include guys, it keeps everybody hungry, and it's it's good for our team. You know, you just mentioned it right there. I've mentioned it on the air. I really think that's during this stretch of the last month, defense as a team, as a whole, especially outfield defense, has been really good. Yeah, how about the play Porter Brown made today? Oh, I mean, that was a great throw, but we have. We've been running balls down. We've been, uh, you know, making great throws good to see flores come in off the bench and do that because he's getting better and better every single day so a lot of contributors like you're saying all right the next thing is you get to go back home but then you got a conference play over the weekend this is a tough stretch you played during a lot of baseball five in a row no doubt i mean we were out ek today so that kind of gave him a breather honestly Uh, May may rest a couple of guys tomorrow or at least come off the bench again and utilize some guys. But um, we want to try to win the game, but also we've got to preserve some people as well.
0: Yeah, and then that's where the, some of this really comes into play, the unique wrinkles of it. He talked about Jalen Flores coming in. The, and all the, the. I know we kid a lot about analytics, and a lot of folks say analytics are overanalyzed, but that was one case where, boom, the analytics chipped in. It showed what Jalen Flores was doing. Uh, against that kind of pitching and that kind of situation. And and this was after O'Dowd had two hits and a walk. And you're gonna lift him for a pinch hitter to put a freshman in there? Yeah. Boom. Double. Two runs coming in. So it, it it worked out really well for that. Okay, so so here's game two uh tonight. And this is what I was talking about uh when I mentioned the um the importance of this. Um I know it's a tired subject with with some folks, those three dirty letters, R-P-I, but trust me on this, RPI is really a key evaluative tool for the Baseball Tournament Selection Committee. Uh, it, you know, because it's evaluating non-conference record, conference record, non-conference RPI, non-conference strength of schedule, all of those factors go into that. It is far more uh, detailed and used in baseball than in basketball because you've got a huge sample size or a much larger one in basketball than, than in basketball when you have a 56 regular season baseball games. So the RPI is more revelatory in those situations. So, Cam, if I were to ask you right now, do you know who the number one RPI team is in college baseball in the country? Could you tell me? Well, I just kind of cheated, so I could tell you. But (laughs) but before before I looked it up, no, I would not have guessed who it is. It's Kentucky, and in fact, here's something. This is something that Keith Moreland and I got in a conversation about last night. He said the two power leagues in college baseball this year, without question, are the SEC and the ACC. Big 12 would probably be third, or Pac-12. It's close. But the Pac-12 is very top-heavy. The Big 12 is somewhat top-heavy. But the SEC and the ACC are the two power leagues, and the computer reveals it, and the RPI reveals it. How so? Number one, Kentucky, SEC. Number two, Virginia, ACC. Number three, South Carolina, SEC. Number four, LSU, SEC. Number five, Arkansas, SEC. Number six, Wake Forest, SEC. ACC, Number seven, Vanderbilt SEC. Number eight, Florida SEC. Number nine, Boston College ACC. Number ten, North Carolina State ACC. Out of the top ten, six are SEC schools, four are ACC schools. Two conferences make up the entire top ten. And you can pish posh it all you want, but the the, the numbers are revealing about that uh, in a large measure because of what they do with their non conference schedule. then Then, listen to this. Here's where the RPI goes after this. UCLA and Stanford, back-to-back. Stanford moved up two spots last night. Uh, UCLA is number 11. Stanford moved from 14 to 12. Why? They beat Texas Tech, albeit at home. Texas is 13. When the games ended last night, and Keith and I were doing the postgame show, Texas had moved from 13 to 12 in the RPI based on the road win in San Marcos. Texas State, by the way, dropped eight spots from 84 to 92. So they've got, as Spike Dykes used to say, they got some doing to do. But they have opportunities with some upcoming RPI non-conference games and games on the road and conference schedule that will help them. So there's still time for the Bobcats. But uh, Texas had moved up one spot to 12. But after Stanford beat Texas Tech, the Long Runs dropped back down to 13 because of the Tech loss. On that and Stanford moved in at twelve. Then you got Oregon fourteen. So uh, three of the next four in the RPI are Pac twelve schools. Then you got the aforementioned East Carolina Pirates. Then you got another AC school C school, Miami. You have to go to seventeen to find a non power five school, and it's a good one, by the way, Campbell. They're in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. They beat Coastal Carolina last night, so they got a little bump on the RPI of a couple of spots. Then you have your first Big Ten school, Indiana. At 18, Oklahoma State at 19, and Tennessee to round out the top 20. RPI does matter. It matters in college baseball. And uh, that was why. It, and and even though Texas State dropped eight spots for losing to Texas last night, it was a home game, and that's where they're getting punished as much as anything. If they win tonight, and this is what I meant about the importance of this game, Texas may get a little bump or, or maybe not a bump at all, whatever, for winning a home game tonight against Texas State in the computer. If Texas State wins a road game tonight against Texas, they may move up 20 spots in the RPI. That's what the computer can do for that. That's what the RPI can do for you in college baseball. And it is an important consideration for the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. All right. Up next, and and by the way, and Keith Morland made a great point on this. We're coming up on tax time. You had to remind me. Uh, Coming up on that. But right around there, around the 15th of April, that's where you can really start to pay a lot closer attention to regional projections and RPI and strength of schedule and things like that. Once you start getting into mid-April, because you're six weeks away at that point from the selection on Memorial Day being revealed, and you're locked into your conference, but you still have those Tuesday and sometimes Wednesday midweek non-conference games, and they can factor into it. All right, up next... Inconceivable before we close that hour. Number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn 1049 1019 AM 1260. Live local and digital on the Horn app and at HornFM.com. From the yu Business Services Studios, you're listening to KTXX FM and HD1 VK, KTAE AM Eldon, K270CO Round Rock. Craig Way and Jeff Howe Light the Tower.
3: Inconceivable! 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
0: Okay, it may be inconceivable, but but it is conceivable to be joined now by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. You know him best for his outstanding work at Orange 24-7. Back from the Sark. Might help if I
3: plug my headphones in.
0: Always helps. Help helps on that. And Jeff, we have the full breakdown of uh, what Sark had to say uh, coming up I'm gonna here try in to, number two. I'm going
3: to try to piece this out because I feel like yeah. I get a little scatterbrained during these things. So Do
0: I'm going to
3: try to narrow the focus. A lot here. of
0: stuff coming at you there. Uh, there was a lot of stuff coming at folks when I was going with the RPI. And someone, hey, it's a fair question, asked on the Specs text line, what is RPI?
3: You know, when it comes to questions like that, and this is no disrespect to the texter, um... I once heard it said about somebody who was dealing with upper management, said, you know, I, I either need five minutes or five years because nothing in between is going to do either of us any good.
0: <laughs> I, I'll, I'll try to make it as brief as possible. RPI, Ratings Percentage Index. And it basically measures your wins, your home wins, your road le- wins, uh, your road losses, your home losses, uh, the uh, neutral game, site games, the other teams, and it's, and it's an algorithm that – places values on all of that, and then it spits out a ranking on that. And that's why I said it was unusual that Texas actually moved up one spot when the game ended from 13 in the RPI to 12 by beating Texas State. It was a road win. But two hours later, when Stanford rallied back to beat Texas Tech, because they beat Tech, that affects Texas as an opponent. The Lawrence dropped back to 13. That's how instantaneous... It is on that, so it does, it, it does say that. All right, there's. Let's uh, now that I've spent enough time on the RPI, we can spend some time uh, with uh, inconceivable and uh, and some topics that might matter. Um, here's another um, airline horror story. Which Jeff loves the airline horror stories, especially when it comes to lost luggage. You said you have been a victim of that before, right? You no, have... don't jinx me. Oh, that's right, because you've been you've been lucky. <sighs> if I lose um, a bag on my next
3: trip, I'm
0: you're coming after me. Yes, I understand that. Just
3: like Chad Hastings is going to kill the next artist he mentions when he shouldn't. It's
0: true. Yeah. It's true. Um, so um, a, uh, a gentleman related in a, a the. A craziest experience he had with Frontier Airlines. See, there's your first problem. Well, anyway. uh, During a trip from Denver to Hartford, he explained when he got to the airport, he had a personal bag for the flight, and he paid to check a bag. Okay? He said that when he checked his bag and he went through security at the airport, everything was fine. But once he got to the gate, the airline workers started looking at the passengers' personal bags. Quote, They line us all up, and they're like, we're checking everyone's bag size, and it wasn't just like a little normal check. Someone tried to take a phone out of a bag, and they're like, nothing in your pockets. What? Uh, He explained that when someone tried to put on a jacket, the airline worker said no and claimed that each person could only have one jacket. He explained that people continue to put bags into the baggage sizer, which is used to determine if personal items can fit on the plane or not. When people had bags with straps hanging out, he alleged that workers told them, sorry, items can't fit on the plane. And according to Frontier's official site, each traveler is allowed one personal item on the plane, which has to be 14 inches high by 18 inches wide by eight inches deep, including handles, wheels, and straps. If the items are not this size, you're going to be charged an additional cost during boarding. Passengers can also check bags or have a carry-on bag when they board for an additional cost. In his video, which was, where else, TikTok, he, uh, Cole explained that the workers proceeded to examine passengers' luggage before they sent them to the counter to check. They sent everyone to the counter. People were, like, filming it. Some people were crying because they were being such sticklers, and people's bags were, like, actually fitting in the baggage sizer there. So he said the TikTok user said that when he saw this, he put on his jacket and threw away some stuff before putting the bag in the sizer. He claimed that when an airline worker told him his bag still didn't fit, he asked to put it in the bag sizer again. In response, she said no. She wouldn't let him put it in. From there, he claimed he sneaked out of the line Emptied more stuff out of the bag. When he got back to the line, he said he got the bag to fit the sizer because the airline worker was, quote, unquote, dealing with someone else. So he was able to grab the bag and take it on the plane with him. He continued to say he asked a flight attendant for a bandage for a cut when he got on the plane. The flight attendant said, no. (laughs) He later got a bandage from a different flight attendant. (laughs) Angry airline. So uh, it happens, you know. Um, Okay, I'm glad you're here for this next story.
3: There's two areas in my life where I've learned the hard way yeah. to not be frugal. Yeah, just pay the extra money when you're flying, check the or bag. traveling. Period. Mm-hmm. Unless you fly Southwest and you get a bag check free,
0: or if you're Lifetime Platinum like me, on there America, you go. You can do it there.
3: Uh, and then hotels. Like I'm at the yeah. eight, I'm at the point where I'm you know I'm I'm just gonna pay the extra pay you know another yep. 50 bucks to not stay at a roach motel. You're not going to stay, stay at the
0: motel motel?
3: No, just a, a a place where just where the doors don't open to the outside. Yep.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh I'm glad you're here for this next story. Now let me start off my friend by you know that I emotionally, mentally, and intellectually I do believe have moved on beyond what happened in the 2017 World Series between the Astros and Dodgers. You sure? We've, we've, I've, I've said it on the air. The okay. only reason why it even comes up Sometimes now... Sometimes I wonder. The only reason why it comes up is because when stories happen like this one. Um, have you seen this story uh, with regard to Evan Gaddis. Yeah. Okay. Um, of course, Evan Gaddis joined the Astros ahead of the 2015 season, spent four years with the team, primarily a DH made a quip about the team being shut out by U Darvish despite knowing what pitches he was throwing and was later asked about a key moment in Game 7 of the 2017 ALCS, his go-ahead home run in the fourth inning off CC Sabathia in a game the Astros eventually won for nothing. Uh, that homer was the only hit he had during the series, but it was the most significant moment in what was an otherwise stellar postseason but he tweeted craziest thing about the cheating year is facing a guy like you darvish and getting shut out knowing what's coming that's some refreshing honesty i mean
3: at this at this point you know you it, it you've been punished for it right yeah. as an organization so why not just unload like you know if you're if you're eric dickerson right that's yep. why. That's why I've never understood the Eric Dickerson thing, like why he's so reluctant to be forthright. Which I actually think in recent years he's he's mentioned something about it. Yeah, your alma mater's already been given the death penalty. Like they they yeah. can't retroactively do anything worse what's done is than done. what's happened.
0: You can tell how you got the gold trans in. Yeah. I actually got that from Aggie boosters yeah, right. and then didn't go there. So uh, anyway, the rate. Like I said, I moved on with it. I made peace with it a long time ago. But I thought it was funny that Evan Gaddison yeah. tweeted about that. So that's why I, that's why I was glad you were here uh for that okay um this is something you like because it's wildlife uh it's fish sometimes you say you're neither fish nor fowl and some you're definitely fish on this story a teenager South Carolina fishing for a what we say back in North Carolina a striped bass which Striped or striped you know, <laughs> yeah. we say striped a striped bass in South Carolina Hooked in what he called a once-in-a-lifetime fish. Pulls it up. Yeah, it wasn't a striper. South Carolina Department of Natural Resources confirmed the fish was a South American paku. Do you know what that is? No. It's the cousin of a piranha. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Drew Patrick, a 15-year-old angler from Anderson, South Carolina, landed this invasive fish. Is a regular on Lake Hartwell, and I've been to Lake Hartwell. It's a huge lake. Uh, and he said, "I try to fish in Hartwell every week. My family striper fishes. I've been fishing since I can remember. And I've always had a special place for my heart. Now it has an unforgettable about- look at it. Look at that, that, that big fellow there. Dang, yeah. It's he's a cousin to the piranha. The uh, noting that the Amazon rainforest natives and the piranha lookalikes are popular aquarium fish, occasionally released." In the local waters, so that's how this stuff
3: happens. When man. they
0: outgrow their tanks, like people were doing with the cobras, cobras and, and, and the alligators and, yeah, and, uh, out there, he said they've been caught in the state before, but it's illegal to release them. Unlike piranhas, which have a full set of the sharp teeth, the chompers on a paku are, are they they're flatter and a little more human like, uh, but they have powerful jaws that allow the paku to feed on fruits and tree nuts that drop into the water fish are common throughout their native range but they've also established breeding populations now in places where they don't belong including florida and texas that's how the stuff happens, man. They don't pose a threat to humans, but they can outcompete native fish species and introduce exotic parasites. By the way, that's a band playing in Austin this weekend, exotic parasites.
3: I will put out an APB once again for anybody listening in the Metroplex. If you know the whereabouts of the Grand Prairie Cobra, which I'm sure has left this mortal world, please let the general public
0: know. Let us know. And watch out for the Paku if you're fishing in the local lakes. Second hour coming up on Life the Tower.